Hello and welcome to another message of the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. If you have any questions or just need some prayer, please feel free to write to us through our website at www.thelatterrain.org. And also keep in mind that our English audio messages are available as podcasts through iTunes. You can look for us in the Apple iTunes Store under Podcasts as The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. As we end our series, we'll be going through part four today where we'll be looking at the last of the three examples we were given in our key passage that illustrates faithfulness to the Lord. We'll be looking at Job. Job is truly unique in his experiences in the way how at one moment he has everything to another moment he lost everything. When he lost his possessions, his children, and even his health, left without anything worldly to hang on to. We'll see through Job's life how things work between God and the devil and how everything has a purpose because there is a definite before and after to Job's life. And we will see how loving God brought Job out of the most difficult circumstances any person could ever face. Please stay with us for the next few minutes as we listen to today's message. Let us take a moment to seek the Lord in prayer together. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, hallowed and glorified be your name. Blessing and honor and glory and majesty be to you, O Lord God, for you are worthy to be praised and exalted, for there is no one like you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you please forgive my sins and my wrongs. And I pray humbly, Lord God, right now, Lord, that you may please, that you may just speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, help us to again, as always, have sensitive and open hearts to you and to just be able to take in what we need to take in through your word, that we may be able to accept your truth and that we may let your truth work in us. I pray for every person that's listening, Lord God, that you may please just work in their lives your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The key passage we've been following for the series can be found in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 12 to 23, and this is what the Lord says. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness, I will stretch out my hand against it. I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, and cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land, and they empty it and make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beasts. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered, and the land would be desolate. For if I bring a sword on the land, and say, Sword, go through the land, and I cut off man and beast from it. Even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, but only the, themselves would be delivered. Or if I send pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it and blood and cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. For thus says the Lord God, How much more it shall be when I send my four severe judgments on Jerusalem, the sword and famine and wild beasts and pestilence, to cut off man and beast from it? Yet behold, there shall be left in it a remnant who will be brought out, both sons and daughters. Surely they will come out to you, and you will see their ways and their doings. 
then you will be comforted concerning the disaster that I brought upon Jerusalem, all that I have brought upon it. And they will comfort you when you see their ways and their doings, and you shall know that I have done nothing without cause that I have done in it, says the Lord God. Job is the last of the three examples we are given, that we have to be like Job in order to be able to make it through the tribulation that the earth will go through because of the sin that is running rampantly throughout, not just in the world, but more importantly, the passage is referring to Jerusalem, to those people who say that belong to the Lord. The main problem of everything in God's people, that there is too much disobedience and sin. When we as a people are in such bad shape, God has to do something to clean us so that either A, people understand what is wrong and repent and change, or B, they finally make a decision to stop straddling the fence between good and evil and they just fall off and go away. It's not God's will for people to give up on their faith in Christ, but it is much more unacceptable for him for people to be warm than to be cold or hot. The Lord desires for everyone to be saved, but people need to make the decisions also. So-called warm believers confuse everyone because on the one hand, they say they are followers of Jesus Christ, but on the other, their actions reveal something that denies it. It's a stumbling block for those people that do not know the Lord and need him so desperately. And so, who was this Job and what was he like? With Job, we have to look at his first state and then his last state. There is a before and after in Job and we need to become like the latter. Now, don't get me wrong, Job always believed in God before everything went sideways, if you will, and after God restored him. But there were certain things that needed to be changed in the life of Job. And here's where we start understanding that everything had a purpose. The first thing about Job is that he was not a fictional character. This is a true story and we reduce that by the use of names of people. When God would give us a parable, he wouldn't use names. He would just refer to people in the parable in a neutral kind of way, without names. The majority of what we'll be looking at today can be found in the book of Job, if you're following along or if you want to keep track. And so let's go to Job chapter 1 to see who Job was, where it says, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So Job was a pretty good guy, if you will, and he had many things. But this version of Job had some issues, and not small issues but actually rather large issues, issues that are very common today, especially in the so-called people of God. If we slide down to verse 4, we'll see part of the problem. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. And so even though Job feared the Lord, his children had become something else. They had all become serious partiers, just living off of daddy's money without any kind of responsibility or care for God and for their fellow man. 
they would get so out of hand that Job did offerings for them regularly with the thought that they could have sinned and cursed God. They were completely out of control. And as opposed to Daddy Job doing something about it, he would just pray for them and give offerings. That is not what should have happened. First off, how did they get to be like that without having any kind of regard for God to the point of potentially cursing God at any given moment? They were not raised right. Children don't get off a course overnight. It's a process that starts from when they're very little. Children need to be raised in the Lord, exposed to the ways of God, so they can make their decisions for the Lord when they're ready to do so. Or at least they need to be under control, subject to the rules of the house, if you will, until they're old enough to be on their own and answer for themselves. But a parent cannot just let them run rampant. And even worse, feed their rebellion and hardness of heart towards God because that is what happens when a parent does not take an active role in the education and raising of their children. Money is not enough. Actually, giving your kids money and only watching out for their physical well-being can catapult them to becoming even worse because now a person is just spoiling them. They get this attitude like, I must be okay because... No one is turning off the spigot. I still keep getting everything I want and need, so everything must be fine. That is the message that is being sent to children when you give them everything they need and want without any kind of correction or punishment for their wrong actions. Does any of this sound familiar? And now let's look at the root of what causes problem in Job's children. So after everything went wrong, where Job lost everything, his children, his wealth, even his health, his wife's true colors show up, or at least that is when we're told about them. Let's look at chapter 2, verse 9 to 10, where we see the kind of woman he paired up with. It says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Mrs. Job was not a God-fearing person. She also had a big problem. I have to say, there was a lot of God cursing in Job's household, not just having little issues here and there. There were huge spiritual problems in the Job household. His kids had the God-cursing problem and Mrs. Job had that issue also. And to top things off, Job had three friends that seemed to be closest to him. We read of these three friends in the following passage where it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all the adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Neamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. When they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, they seem like good guys here, but if we read through the various passages in the book of Job, not one of them gives him any kind of true godly counsel. Quite the contrary, none of them speak what is right before God. And Job had to intercede for them later on so that God could forgive them because they were so off base. And so even though Job 
was a God-fearing person within himself. He had fundamental problems. According to the scriptures, as believers, we're not supposed to be unequally yoked, which means that our closest relationships cannot be with unbelievers, with people that do not fear nor follow the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It's very plain. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? This not only applies to marriage, but also to every kind of close relationship you may have. This can even be a business partner relationship. Because let me tell you, that kind of relationship is pretty close. Where your finances are tied to someone else. So it could be with your wife. It could be with friends. It could be with business relationships. So it's not just marriage. That's what we have to be very careful with, being unequally yoked with unbelievers. James chapter 4, verse 4 goes on and tells us this. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Are you starting to understand the problem Job had? And the same problem that many so-called believers have today? Now, this doesn't mean that you cannot have some sort of relationship with the world, because then how can we talk to people about Christ or let alone coexist here? But your close relationships, those that truly form part of your personal life and intimate business partner relationships, we're not talking about a regular job where, where you're just an employee. You need to be with people that also fear and follow the Lord. People that will help you follow even more closely the Lord, not with those that will draw you away from God. This is one of the main problems Job had. And this is part of the problem that made God allow Satan to have such a destructive influence in Job's life. Nothing happens in our lives just because. Everything happens for a reason, especially if God has a plan for us, which he usually does. And so if we discern the problem in Job's life, we see that this particular problem started when he got involved with the person that was not God-fearing. And as a product of that relationship, that then became the influence upon his children's lives. And they also became what they became. And to add to that, Job kept friendships that did not help him spiritually. He didn't have anyone around him to help him see what he was doing wrong. And he just let things take their course, but he had a lot of wealth, right? It appears that he was more concerned on being wealthy than being careful with who he paired up with and what was happening in his family. Now, his wife and children are personally responsible for their own actions and decisions. But Job didn't do anything to help the situation. All of Job's personal relationships were wrong and decadent. This is what the Lord teaches us on how a family should run. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 28, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. 
So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let's get this very clear because there's too much garbage out there, especially from so-called Christian authors and teachers, from both men and women, and I say this with all due respect. The man is supposed to be the head of the house out of responsibility. It's the man's responsibility to make sure that his family is running right, including the spiritual side. So it's not just about, you know, do what I say because I'm the man, but rather as the man, I need to watch out for the physical, emotional, and most importantly, spiritual welfare of my family. That's the job, the responsibility of every man that has a family. So when you decide to get married and have children, that's what needs to happen before the eyes of the Lord. And that happens through the living out a true faith in Christ by leading your family through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God by establishing godly principles. And ladies, loving you as a wife does not mean that the man needs to cater to you and become your servant and to fulfill your whims and superficial desires. A man shows you their love principally by sanctifying and cleaning you through the word of God, by helping you become better and stronger in the Lord so that both of you can have a godly home, not the disaster that Job had and not the broken or dysfunctional families we have today. Tough times will come and for some of you, they're already here. And if you are married, you need to face them together in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit and applying the very principles there we are taught in the Word of God. Otherwise, you will fall and destroy each other and everything else around you, especially your children. The responsibilities are very simply laid out in the Word of God. There is no th deep theological discussion or dissertation needed so much that a child can follow them and understand. So if you want good families in Christ, apply the word of God as a man and as a woman to your family. And so let us continue with Job. And in comes Satan into the picture. If we go back to Job chapter one, we can start reading at verse six, where it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. So we see here that Satan can also come to church, so we have to be careful in church also. Just look at the Pharisees who were Jesus's strongest opponents. And it continues saying, and the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Satan is everywhere. So you always need to have your guard up. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so our enemy wastes no time. He loves evil and loves to inflict pain wherever he can. And that is why we need to stay close to the Lord because we never know when those moments may occur. 
Now let's see a little more of when Satan strikes and we're gonna go down to verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Oh, look at that. What a surprise. The kids were partying their little hearts out again, huh? And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great one came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job did not sin, nor charge God for wrong. This is all very difficult to take in, but that is ultimately what Satan looks to do. And that is why God hates sin, and that's why he warns us to stay away, because Satan only wants our destruction. So no matter how alluring and attractive and fun things may seem, the end they lead you to is to destruction. And even then, by trying to do as best as possible things for the Lord, things may still not turn out well from a human perspective. Just look at Paul's life. So let's keep reading in chapter two now. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, where do you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Wow, that's tough. Job found himself in a very unique, vulnerable, and painful position. From apparently having it all, he was reduced to having nothing. No wealth, no children, no health. One event behind the other. That's why we need to understand that everything in this life can change in any given moment and nothing of this world can protect you and least of all, save you. That is the truth. Anything can happen to anyone 
anywhere, no matter how much power they may have, no matter how much money they may have, no matter who they have next to them. We are all truly powerless and vulnerable. And if we are not hanging on to the Lord the way that we need to for our own good, we will fail in our faith and commit the worst thing anyone could ever commit, like Mrs. Job told her husband, to just curse God and die. You might be saying now, I won't ever do that. Don't be so sure. It's easy to talk tough when everything seems okay. But everyone's true colors come out while they're experiencing some form of tribulation. That is the purpose of tribulation though. And we are not talking about odd trials and consequences brought upon the person themselves because we bring upon ourselves a lot of problems because we're disobedient and unfaithful to the Lord. The purpose for tribulation is so that what is deeply kept inside our heart is finally revealed so it can be dealt with. Otherwise, it will stay in there and nothing really changes. That is why the main thing we need to learn how to do, because it does not come naturally, is to love the Lord. When we learn to love the Lord, then no matter what happens, it will all work for our good. For it is written, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Despite Job's shortcomings, he loved the Lord. He had his problems, his big time issues, but he still loved the Lord and remained faithful to him despite the hard times he was living through. And that is when sooner or later, God steps in, in to clear up the matters of the heart so that what needs to take place happens. And here is a major principle we need to understand so that whatever happens in our lives, that the full purpose of the reason for the experience may be fulfilled. God is more concerned over the process in our lives than our physical and temporary comfort and well-being. To the Lord, the spiritual, the eternal, and what we do while we're here on this earth is what matters to him the most. Because after all, who cares if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? On one hand, it may be hard to accept because of the flesh. But on the other, our internal being, the spirit, desires for this to happen because that is a component of ourselves that can live forever through Jesus Christ. When we stand before the throne of God, our short lifespan on earth will not really matter to us. At that point in time, we will probably be more concerned if we had a moment to process during the transition of where exactly we'll spend eternity and what will that be like for us. Is this starting to make sense? And so if we follow through the book of Job, as a brief synopsis, we see the following. Between Job chapter 3 and 25, we see the different arguments that happen mainly between Job and his three friends and that his three friends' opinions are not really expressing any kind of help, nor are they speaking what God would have them speak. From Job 26 to 31, Job defends himself and he talks about his experience and about what he understands. And from Job 32 through 37, there is a fifth person that enters the conversation, a certain Elihu, who does speak what is right and explains who God is and where he is in all that happens with man. Elihu does speak what is right, thereby exposing Job to understanding more clearly just who this God that he follows really is. And from Job chapter 38 to 41, the ultimate conversation occurs between God and Job. God now enters a picture, if you will, and he reveals himself 
to Job in a very personal and real way. And after God talks to Job and sets him straight, then Job is able to make a great transition in his own life. And that is where everything changes for him, where God's purpose is finally revealed. And this is the version of Job we need to learn to be like. If we want to make it through whatever experience we go through in this life, to be a part of what God wants us to do, and ultimately to find our way to God through Jesus Christ. Job chapter 42 tells us about Job's transition and turning point where it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you, speaking of God, can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel from knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak, you said. I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job had a fundamental problem. He had never had a true encounter with God. He followed God and remained faithful to him because of what he had heard, but not because of a personal and intimate relationship with the Lord. That's what kept him from getting to the next step, to understanding that no one can justify themselves before an almighty and holy God. When we finally understand that God is everything and we are nothing and that we're truly sinners, that we just need to repent and convert completely from all of our sins, then the Lord becomes real to us. And that is when great things truly start to happen. That is when we start seeing what needs to change and allow for the Lord to start making wholesale changes in our lives, taking on the root of the problem or problems, not just dealing with the superficial symptoms. This was the whole reason for why God allowed so much turmoil in Job's life and also to deal with the people that were around Job that didn't really care about God, nor were they going to either. As hard as that sounds, there are people that will not listen to God's truth no matter what happens in their lives. They will reject the Lord out of their own free will. And as so, as part of his change, Job has to deal with those that did not help him with his so-called friends. Look at what God says in verse seven in chapter 42. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Why was God upset with Job's three friends? Because they spoke wrongly of God. And why does that happen? A person mainly talks about what is in their heart, what they're full of. In Luke chapter 6, verse 44 to 45, it says, For every tree is known by his own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Job's friends we're not well spiritually. This is what God teaches us about how we need to deal with people around us. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you take out the precious from the vile, you shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, 
but you must not return to them. If you are a Christ follower, then you need to help everyone around you return to you as you follow the Lord, and you can never give up any ground to them. We need to stand firm in the Lord, immovable, and we need to surround ourselves with people that do the same, and we need to help others come to Christ, not by getting intimate with them, but by exposing them to the truth of God and letting them see how you follow and serve the Lord in your own life. We need to do what Jesus did. He is our main example. He took pity on people. He got down to their level to try to help them understand God's ways. He even healed and freed from demons, but he never adopted their lifestyle nor their ways to try to reach them. He didn't get involved with sexual sin and trying to speak to the prostitute. He didn't start collecting taxes or get involved with the tax collector's business in order to speak to them. He certainly did not get involved with the badness that the demon-possessed people were carrying on with. Are you starting to get the point? That is the balance that we must adopt. And finally, coming back to Job, he starts taking on godly action, repaying evil with good. Verse 10 tells us this, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had had before. This is the hardest thing that Job started doing and what we are taught to do as well. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48, it says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Job finally learned who exactly God was, and in a very personal and intimate way. And when that became a reality to him within himself, then he began adopting God's character, which ultimately relates to how we deal with people, even with our enemies. This is the version of Job we need to become like. Our key passage has taught us through these weeks that there are certain kind of people that will get through any kind of circumstance, even tribulation, which is what we're starting to see in a global manner today. And this Job is one of them. And we have seen that there is a version of Job that we need to take on. The one that finally understood just who the Lord is and that he was nothing. And that no matter how good he tried to be, without this full understanding and personal encounter with the Lord, nothing really matters. There needs to be 100% complete repentance and conversion to the Lord with our entire heart so that the reality of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords occurs in our lives. So like Job, we can fully understand who God is and as a part of that understanding, or rather as a product of that understanding, that we adopt God's true ways, which involves loving our neighbor, even our enemies. That is God's true will and loving people involves telling them the truth and helping them in a very practical way while you share the truth of God with them, just like Jesus Christ did for us. 
He spoke to people about the kingdom of heaven, and he also helped in very practical and tangible ways. He didn't make anyone rich, nor gave them training on how to become powerful on earth. He healed the sick, he fed the multitudes, he freed the spiritually imprisoned, he even raised the dead. He did all of these things while helping them see the light of God, the way to eternal life. And of course, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, suffering the most horrible of deaths unjustly, paying for our sins, not for his sins because he was sinless, so that we could have eternal life. He died for us that we were his enemies, so that we could be won over and live eternally and forever. He died so we could live. Jesus Christ did it all for us, all the things that really matter, so that our lives could be changed forever. And so my advice to you, if you haven't done so already, if you have not yet had this close, personal and intimate encounter with God through Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do that today. Repent and convert from all of your sins. You don't have to number them. Just repent and convert. Turn away fully and completely and accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and God of your life, believing in Him and in what He has done for you with all of your heart. For it is written that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God had raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so, I urge you to give your life to the Lord today. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, I praise you, I worship you, I exalt you, Lord God, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. I give you thanks, O Lord, Heavenly Father, for the guidance that you give us, O Lord. And Lord, that we see that Job was a normal guy, just like us. He was a person with frailties, with mistakes, with errors, with sin, just like us. But Heavenly Father, we see through his life that, that if because he loved you and he did not give up on that love for you, no matter what his circumstances were, that he was actually able to get to what you needed for him to get to. Lord, I give you thanks that you are truly worried about the things that, that are truly important. Lord, our, our, our priorities are, are, are so screwed up that we worry about things that, are, that, that only last a moment, but you are concerned over our eternity and where we will spend it. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for his sacrifice. Thank you, O Lord, because you paved the way to salvation through him. And that, Lord God, that we just need to believe and, and Lord God, repent and convert with all of our hearts just to understand that you are everything and that we are nothing and that we need you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, O oh Lord, I pray for every person that is listening, that if out there, Lord God, in so many different places that this message reaches, that if there's someone out there that is yet to make that decision for you, that they might be able, Lord God, Heavenly Father, to be able to to again, just start fresh, start new and say, 
Lord God, please forgive my sins. I repent from all of my sins and I convert from them to follow you. Lord, I believe with all of my heart and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and my God and my Savior, that he was the one that died for me on the cross, that he shed his blood to wash away all my sins, and that he was buried, but you, Father, raised him from the dead at the third day for my salvation, for my life, that through him I could be saved and I could have eternal life. Lord God, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Everything that I am, I surrender to you. Lord, I pray that that is their prayer and that they do that with all of their heart and that they come to ultimately be born again through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray, O oh Lord, for your people that are listening right now, that if by any chance that they may have succumbed to sin and to the influences of the world, I pray, Heavenly Father, that may be able to just turn away from that and, and to also say, God, please forgive me and please have mercy on me and please help me to, to become what you want me to become. Heavenly Father, I pray that that be their prayer. Heavenly Father, please have mercy on us. I give you thanks and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please join us again next time as we continue looking into God's Word together. Please feel free to write to us through our website if you have any questions or just need some prayer. Our web address again is www.thelatterrain.org. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.